we get started, though, I want to I want to read a few verses over us because these are the mindsets that we're coming into evangelism with. It's the things that we're approaching, what Reinhard really is approaching his writings here with. And so one of those is Matthew 28. It's going to sound awfully familiar. But just as I read each word, just let it really resonate in your soul. Just let it sink into your heart. It says this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The parallel account in Acts 1 Verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's the local world, and all Judea and Samaria, it's the next tier out, to the ends of the earth, literally going to any, all, the, all, all the unreached people groups, going to the ends of the earth. And what we also want to remember in the midst of all of this is what John's Gospel says, it's Jesus' prayer, But what John's gospel says in 17 verse 3, which is, now this is eternal life. The point of what we're doing here, gathering together, talking about evangelism, the equipping of saints to go out and do evangelism, is with this goal in mind. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That is why we're gathered here tonight. We're gathered here tonight because Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. We want to become equipped We want to become enabled to then go out and tell people this good news so that uh, they can also go out and make disciples. But this is eternal life, knowing Jesus. And we also want to keep this in mind, John 15, 5, when Jesus says to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you bear much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. I've quoted this before in school and ministry, but it's that idea that if you cut a branch off of a tree, It's going to fall to the ground, wither, and die. It can bear no fruit. The branch must remain in the vine, and the vine has to really accept this branch. It has to continue to give life to the branch. Otherwise, the branch will fall off and die, and there will be no fruit. And so as we approach evangelism, as we approach learning about it, as we approach this book, as we approach everything that's going to be said tonight, we want to do it under the framework, the idea in mind that we can't do it apart from Christ. Bonky notes that. We'll take a look at it later. But we have to have Jesus in our ministry. He's got to be the end goal. He's the reason why we're gathered here. He's the reason why we evangelize to the world so that they might also be saved. But we have to do it in Christ. And so with that, let's pray. Jesus, tonight we come to you and we just want to ask the question of what does it look like to learn about evangelism, and to do evangelism with you. Christ, what does it look like to do these things with you? Holy Spirit, we know that you want to teach us, that you're going to be applying scripture to our heart, that you're going to be bringing about conviction, that you're going to be bringing about inspiration, dreams and visions of what this might look like in our life. And Lord, we just open to you tonight. We open our hearts to you and say, how can we do this with you? What does it look like to partner with you, Holy Spirit, in the ministry of salvation? And so would you just empower us as we study, as we talk, as we 
listen as we, we as we learn as we are empowered through uh, exhortation and word. Holy Spirit, be the teacher. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. What I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to take you through the first 45 pages of this book in a condensed version, okay? Um, Jared's going to come up later, and he's going to give you some um, additional practical tools and then have you actually practice on one another, which is going to be a really exciting experience for us to just start to take what we're learning and apply it immediately. But go ahead and open up to page two with me. If you don't have this book, by the way, you can get the book. Um, We should have extra copies tonight. If you weren't able to complete the homework, and particularly if you didn't have the book, that's okay. Go ahead and complete that um, as soon as you get a chance. That way you're not behind on uh, the future weeks so that you know actually what's going on in, in the book. At the very top of the page, though, Bonke says this. It's the second, second sentence up there. It says, It struck me that the gospel is not good news to those who do not hear it. That an unpreached gospel is no gospel at all. Now, of course, what he's setting us up for throughout this chapter is really, okay, we've got to go. We've got to go and do something about this. We've got to go and say something to people. Because we can get in our holy huddle and talk about how good Jesus is, but neglect the fact that there's people who are dying and going to hell because they don't yet know him. There's a, a pastor at, at another church locally, and he's a friend of mine. We were talking about worship music. And when he was songwriting, what he wanted to, what he wanted to do in worship was he wanted to write what he called were these lifesavers that people could hold on to. Um, so these songs of praise, these songs of worship that people could cling to in, in times especially of trouble, um, but also in times of joy, just these life rafts that they could hold on to, these hopes, these, these promises that they could cling to. And what he also said um, in terms of, of worship and in doing ministry, in terms of preaching the gospel, it was his words that really hit me in my heart. Because he said, there are people who are dying and going to hell and not doing anything about it. And him wanting to write these songs, these little life rafts for people to cling to, is this idea of, man, there's people that are out there that are perishing, and we've got to go and say something. And we've got to be united front about that. We've got to go together and preach the gospel because there are people that are dying and going to hell without Christ. Moving down a little bit further, he says at the end of the page, I booked a 10,000-seat stadium for a campaign with a church of 40 members, and 10,000 people came. I love that. That's such bold, audacious faith. To be like, hey, we've got a, I mean, that would be like us saying, okay, we've got 100 or so people here tonight. Well, then let's book a stadium for 40,000 people, and they're going to show up, and they're going to hear the gospel, and they're going to be changed, and they're going to receive Jesus. Like, that's, that's, that's bold faith. That's audacious faith. Can you imagine if we did that, if tonight we decided we're going to, yeah, let's rent out Angel Stadium, okay? And in six weeks, at the end of this, I'm just kidding, we're not actually doing this. But, I mean, what if in six weeks, if we were like, hey, yeah, we're going to do this, and, and people are actually going to show up? And people did. And that's amazing. As we, as we approach evangelism, let's approach it with that in mind, that type of faith in mind that we say, we're just going to be bold for Jesus, we're going to be a little nutty for him, in a good way, a good nutty. Not where we're like, we actually freak people out and they think that we're weird. But just that we would say, like, no, I'm going to believe that our Savior is this big. I'm going to believe that he, when he says that he doesn't want anybody to perish, that he actually means that. And that his desire 
is to see all people saved. Move on to page four with me. It says in that first paragraph, second sentence, the devil is still on the run as Jesus sets the captives free. Cool and casual Christianity will not do. We've got to be passionate. We've got to be going after this. We've got to be bold. We've got to be um, on fire like what he says. Page six. Second paragraph, middle of the paragraph there. The church that does not seek the lost is lost itself. It's lost its identity, its mission, its purpose. The great commission, go therefore into all the world. That is the commission. If we're not doing that, then we are, we've lost, we've lost what our, our telos, our end goal is. What is it that we are here to do? Again, not just to be in these holy huddles, but to go and to preach the gospel so that others might be saved. A little bit further down, he says, our job is to preach the cross and Christ crucified. Now, I love this. It comes out of 1 Corinthians 2.2. That sounded like a ballerina thing. Um, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. And what Paul says there is, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ and him crucified. Now, this is an interesting phrase because what he's saying here is I came to know nothing but Jesus, this God who is alive and he is not dead, but I came that you might know him crucified. Christ crucified. Do you see the contrast here that, that Paul is, is setting up in this letter? He's saying, I came that you might know this God who is alive, who is not dead, and yet that you might know of his death. It's paradoxical on purpose. It's like us saying something about like the electric chair, you know, like to liken it to something in today's standards or lethal injection. It would be like us if Jesus were to die today by one of those methods, like us saying, I came that you might know to know Jesus by lethal in- injection. Like it's, it's just paradoxical. It, they, they contradict each other. And yet there's such a beauty in that because that's what Paul's going after. He, he's like, look, it doesn't even make sense like that we can have a, a savior who's alive but was crucified. That's the radical message of the gospel though. That's the bold, audacious claim that Bonke would be able to stand upon and say, we're going to pack out a 10,000-member stadium because we did have a God who, who was dead. He was in the grave, and yet he rose back to life, and through that resurrection, we also have life, and people need to know about it. Next page, the end of that second paragraph there. Christ did not die to give people a career, but to save the lost. Now, what Bonke's talking about here is like, me, I'm a pastor, uh, you know, I'm on staff here. He didn't, Jesus didn't die so that I could just sit in the church and, and do what I do. He died so that people could be saved, right? There's another idea, though, in mind with this, which is that sometimes we can say, oh, that's a job for the pastors to do. That's why I tithe. It's so that they can go and they can do these things. There's a book called Radical by a guy named David Platt. He talks about being radical for Jesus, going out, evangelizing the entire world. Very similar to what Bonke's talking about here. And he talks about this one church that would support him as a missionary. And he quotes something that their pastor said, their senior pastor, where they had him come and preach, and then they gave a love offering to support his missionary um, ministry. And the pastor brings this guy, David, on stage, and he goes, everybody, this is David. We support him as a missionary. He goes overseas so that people like us don't have to. And in his book, he's like writing about how shocked he is. And I hear, you know, the chuckles, and I, even some of you, like, your eyes are wide and your mouth agape. Yeah. 
That should hit us in a, in a, whoa, I thought we were all called to do this. Granted, that might not necessarily look like going to the heart of China and selling everything you have and dyeing your skin to look and fit in with that culture and getting your hair cut that way, but that might be your call. But it was just this, this casual Christianity, this cool Christianity, as Bonke might say, that that church really approached missions with was, yeah, those guys go and do that. We sit here comfortably in the United States and we shell out the cash that they can do it. And I just think, wow, how sad, because they're missing out on what the Lord wants to do through them and in them by being, uh, by actually going and being a part of uh, what's happening on the mission field. The next paragraph down there, starting with the word there, there are as many methods as he directs. We need more imaginative approaches rather than people doing the things tried and proved methods. And that includes the methods that I have tried and proved. I love that Bonky, though he's been incredibly successful in this evangelism ministry so far, he's saying, like, no, there's, there's other things. There's other ways to go about and do evangelism. There are creative ways that we can do that. At the end of our time together, I'm going to have us spend some time in silence where we just spend time asking God, what might that look like for me in my life? But I love that he invites us. He almost gives us permission to say, hey, look, don't just look at my ministry and replicate it. Be creative. Partner with the Holy Spirit, a creative God, the creator God. He might want to do something in your life, in your world, that's different than what's been done before. That's awesome. Next page, page eight. First, uh, first partial paragraph up there. Others are doctrines and sentiments that tell us to leave it all to God. Some insist that God's way is revival, but they fail to carry out the Great Commission in the meantime. We are invited, just like what I was praying earlier, Holy Spirit, what does it look like to do these things in Christ? We are invited not to idly sit back and pray and hope that revival comes, but to actually get up and do something about it, to partner with God in that way. On the next page, page 9, at the end of the paragraph, it says, It pleases God to call and to send people like you and me. He is calling us into partnership. That's the beauty of ministry. It doesn't really matter what your ministry is. If it's ministry, it's, it's partnering with the Holy Spirit. Because really, he's, he's the one who's at work in our lives. He's the one who's sanctifying us, transforming us. Who, who is uh, and who will be glorifying us when we look upon the face of Christ. And everything then that we do in ministry is a partnership with God. Like, that's so awesome that he would invite us into that. There's a pastor that explained it one way. He said, um, you know, if I had my son come out, I'm not, not me, this other pastor. If he said, if I, if I had my son come out and wash the car with me, it would take far longer to get through the car washing ordeal than it would if I just did it alone because he'd be spraying me with the hose and throwing soap on me and getting soap back on the car after we wash it off or maybe he would take the hose and we would have dried it already and he'll sprinkle the windows or something like that it's just going to take a longer time but I would actually invite my son into that so that why I could get to know my son better and that's so that, that, that's what God does with us he invites us into ministry he invites us into evangelism to the preaching of the gospel to the preaching and the sharing of the good news so that he gets to know us better through that time and that we get to know him. We get to experience the joy of lives being transformed, of lives being saved. He invites us into this. He loves to use people like you and me. The next page, page 10, halfway down. There is no alternate plan in case the gospel fails because it cannot and it will not. 
that's a comforting thing. I had a professor one time. We were we were talking about dating actually. And um he was talking about when he was when he was young and he decided that he wanted to start to date and pursue actively pursue a woman and um for the intention of making her his wife someday. And he said I had to realize that being rejected did not mean that I failed. Rather, if I was um if I was rejected like well, Christ was rejected, and he didn't fail. So what failure looked like was just simply not asking, not giving an option, not giving an opportunity for somebody to respond to. I think about that in terms of evangelism as well, where failure in evangelism doesn't look like somebody saying, no, I don't want Jesus. Jesus is rejected, unfortunately, every day, and yet he succeeds. And yet he's already overcome. And yet he's won the battle. That doesn't mean that he failed. That's encouraging. But the gospel doesn't, uh, doesn't fail. Let's move on to page 15. First paragraph, halfway down, it says, The disciples also were sent out two by two, carriers of the divine torch, incendiaries for God, scorching the devil's territory with the fire gospel. And what he's referencing here is this idea that we see in in Judges, where Samson takes these foxes and he ties their tails together and lights torches, attaches it to the tail, and they go out and they burn down the Philistine village. Such a cool story. But what I want to note is this idea of going two by two that Bonke picks up on here. He doesn't elaborate on it a whole lot. But I think that sometimes when we try to evangelize, maybe you've had a, a similar experience, for whatever reason we feel this pressure that I've got to be able to go and do it alone or else I'm not a good enough Christian. There's this, there's this fallacy that's like, well, I've got, to be, I've got to be bold enough to go and do this on my own. And prayerfully, if we're in a situation where we are all alone and yet God wants us to go and evangelize to someone, we'll do it. But I feel like wrapped up in that idea of, oh, I've got to be able to do it alone, is actually a lot of pride. It's a lot of proving to self that I've got to be, I've got to be strong enough. I've got to be bold enough. I've got to, you know, I've got to, in my own fortitude, in my own strength, I've got to do this thing on my own. And uh, whenever there are opportunities to go with another believer, I would encourage you guys, if you have people in your workplace and you want to evangelize your workplace and there's people in your workplace that are Christians, go into the workplace together. Partner with those who are Christians. Pray together with them. Meet with them. And then strategize, too. And Jared's going to help us with some of that. But strategize with people on how to actually go out and, and, and start to reach your coworkers. Because all that, I mean, what we get to pat ourselves on the back if we say, oh, cool, I was bold enough to do that on my own. And then we miss the fact that it's really God working entirely. It's, it's him. It's not about us. It's not about can we muster up enough courage. That's not a mark of faith. It's a mark of really fortitude, of personal strength, of autonomy. We want to do all things with Christ and as much as possible partner with one another. Just like Jesus did. He sent out his disciples two by two. All right, switch over to page 19. Second full paragraph, about three quarters of the way down the page. Such success happens only when God does it his way. When he enters the field, there is a mighty victory. 
He can, will, and does succeed every time we allow him to take over. Jump down a little bit more. It says, begin to work on the level of the Holy Spirit, and you will see the salvation of the Lord. Just to emphasize a point that we do this with him, not on our own, not by mustering up enough courage. Next page. The third paragraph there, the fire of God is not sent for the enjoyment of a few emotional experiences, although the fire of God does have the glory, that glorious result. Holy Spirit power produces living, uh, lively meetings. However, just being happy and clappy does not satisfy God's design. The Holy Spirit works for eternal purposes. Man, seeing miracles is such a gift. Receiving prophetic words from people is such a gift. I love it. It's such a beautiful way that the Holy Spirit works in our lives. But just to emphasize what Bonke is saying here, that's not, that's not the end. The end is, again, the end is Jesus, that people might know Christ. All the other stuff is, is again, it's a gift. It's good. But that's not the end goal. It's all about knowing Christ, the person of Christ. Jump over with me to page 21. About halfway down, the purpose of Pentecost is to get the wheels rolling for God in every church, thereby transporting the gospel across the face of the whole earth. Of course, what we see is that on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. Then the disciples are sent out. Shortly after that, they're persecuted, and that persecution doesn't quench the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't, it doesn't destroy the church. Rather, it makes the church spread further. Because now they can't stay in Jerusalem, they're forced to go out because of the persecution. And literally what Jesus said to them, go to the ends of the world, they do that because they're persecuted and they end up going and doing that. It's awesome, the way that that all worked out. Like Satan thought he was destroying the work of Christ and the work of the disciples, and yet he was just simply fanning the flame. It's beautiful. A little bit further down, uh, that, that last full paragraph, last sentence, or second to last sentence, third to last sentence, now start helping him to save others. If the Holy Spirit has come, then get up and going. He does the work, not you or me. Next page. Halfway through that paragraph there, that first one. Jesus declared his ascension to be to your advantage. He told us that unless he went to the Father, a most essential experience would never be ours. Without the Lord's ascension, we can never be baptized. Jump over to the next page. It says, This is the reason why he ascended to the Father. The Old Testament knows nothing of such a baptism. It is God's new thing. Jesus brings us many other blessings now, of course. He's our high priest, our advocate, and our representative. What this tells us, and what's true, is that when we think about the gospel, oftentimes what we think about is what? I'm actually going to let you say it. We think about his... Good. This is good. Um, let me phrase the question a little bit differently. When we think about what Jesus did, when we think about the message of the gospel, what do we what do we say that is? Jesus did what? Okay. Yes, salvation, sacrifice. He died. What did he do after he died? Resurrected. Okay. And then, yes, he ascended. Oftentimes that we stop at, oh, well, Jesus died. Like, you know, he suffered. He died for our sins. And then he rose from the dead. Yeah, that's the gospel. Woohoo! And that's part of it. That's two-thirds of it. There's another part of it, which we don't talk about a whole lot. We don't think about a whole lot or give a whole lot of merit to, typically, when we talk about the gospel, the good news. And that's that he ascended. 
He ascended back to heaven, back to the right hand of the Father. And then as a part of that, he pours out the Spirit. So what John 16, 7 says is, but very truly, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The full gospel message is that Jesus suffered, died, rose from the grave, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and then poured out the Holy Spirit. He is present with us, Emmanuel, God with us, even here and now through his Spirit. That, my friends, is good news. It's good news that we are alive in Christ. It's good news that he is here with us. It's good news that he empowers us. It's good news that he sends us out. It's good news that he goes with us. It's good news that he's the one who's doing all the wooing and the drawing of hearts to himself and that we get to join with him in that process. He is the one who's at work. Let's move on to page 25. Just really quick, that first line there. Faith brings victory. Faith brings victory. Next page, 26. says he performs his wonders of salvation and healing because of his mercy and grace. Everything that we get to see, it's by his mercy, it's by his grace. When we think about grace and we think about his mercy, sometimes we just think about like forgiveness of sins, but it's, it's everything that God does. It's all the ways that he, even when he makes us aware of the sin in our life, before you trusted in Christ, that moment where you suddenly go, oh my gosh, I'm a sinner. That's his grace. Even now as a believer, when you look at your life and you go, oh my gosh, I struggle with that sin, that's his grace. It's his grace, it's his mercy, allowing us to see these things. He performs his wonders of salvation and healing because of his mercy and grace. A little bit further down, the fire of God comes not because of our sacrifice, not because of what we can give or muster up, but because of Christ's sacrifice. Second to last paragraph, last line, the gospel is and must be on fire. To preach the gospel coolly and casually would be ridiculous. To the next page, that first line under God's fire in Jesus, in terms of human emotion, God's fire translates into passion, the type of passion seen in Jesus. And uh, Bonke continues to elaborate on that at the end of this chapter and spe- specifically Um, But jump to page 30. We'll kind of come back to that idea in a second here. Right before that quote from Luke, that paragraph above, it says, It is not to our credit if we keep perfectly cool. When the lame walk or the blind see, such reserve is not clever. It's foolish pride. Dance. That is more in keeping with such moments. We should take joy in the presence of the Lord. Jesus said, I tell you that if you should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Jumping over to the next page, continuing this idea, he says, salvation is more than getting people's names on a dotted line. Salvation is a spiritual surgery. Jumping down to the line before the verse from Luke, the disciples were crazy with joy when they cast out devils, but Jesus said that was nothing. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit. And then on the next page, those two paragraphs. This is not what the word rejoice means in scripture. It means to exult, to shout, to be rapturous. Try doing that without emotion, without fire. And then the last line, God's fire on people and the church as a whole on fire will win 
our lost generation for him. My mom is one of those moms where when you call her with good news, she screams over the phone. Um, <laughs> my brother had gotten sick and he had uh, an ear infection and his ear had been clogged for like two weeks, I think. He just couldn't hear out of his ear. And I think, I think that what happened is I called my mom to tell her I got my license or gotten a jazz band, something like that. It was when I was in high school. And she did the scream thing, Wah! on the other side of the phone, you know. And, uh, and then she starts laughing, and I'm like, what? And she's like, well, I screamed so loud that it popped your brother's ear like he can hear again. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, that's the way that we respond, though, to certain things. I mean, even now you're like, you know, we're laughing about that, and it's because it, it is funny, and I think about I think about weddings, and I, I, I'm a sucker for weddings. Some guys are not a fan of weddings. Oh, man, I'm like one of those weepy willows, you know. I get so teary-eyed when I think about what's happening in that moment. I love it. And, and uh, I love the, the celebration afterwards. Like, we, we dance. At least we try to dance. There's such a celebration. There's so much joy. We're like, oh my gosh, these two people are coming. One, like this is good. This is, this is beautiful. This is love. They're coming together. Oh, this is amazing. And we rejoice in this new life of a wedding ceremony. And then at church, there's an altar call and people are walking down the aisle and we're like, like total golf clap. You know, it's like, whoa, I think heaven is a little more uh, excited than this. I think that it's exploding with praise and worship to the king who sits upon the throne, the resurrected Messiah. What Bonke is saying here, I agree with wholeheartedly that, man, we should be jumping and celebrating and dancing because why? People were dead and were, that's crazy. They were dead and now they're made alive? That is, if you can't tell, I'm excited. Because that is just like, it's impossible. It's only possible through the cross. And that is worth celebrating to the utmost degree. I mean, every Sunday in church, really, is that. When we gather to sing songs, um, most of our songs are celebratory in nature. They are about the cross of Christ, what he's done, who he is, the salvation that we have. It's a, it, it's a celebration. And I, and I love when there's times, too, of just being somber and reflecting upon the cross and, and upon the, the, the sacrifice of Christ. Those are such good moments, too. We need both. But in these songs of celebration, when we're, when we're here on Sunday mornings and we're thinking and we're, we're singing and we're praying out these wonderful things that the Lord has done, I think it does call for celebration. Let's go to page 34. That first full paragraph there, if anybody thought that they had only 60 minutes left, they would certainly not spend the time on, what is that word, trivialities? Trivialties. Trivialties. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, you guys are so much smarter than I am. Nobody can say it, can they? Trivialties. <laughs> That's like what, what Phil says when he gets to a hard word in scripture, he just says hard word, and it keeps going. So wise. 
<laughs> Good job. Good job. Yes, phonetics. Um, I had a class where we had to reflect on uh, if you had six months left to live. How would you spend that six months? And I was uh, so convicted that I was brought to tears, not like weeping tears or anything, but just tears came into my eyes because I, I thought about if I was actually given six months to live, um, I wouldn't be doing, like I would quit school. Honestly, I'd quit here because I would want to just go and tell people about Jesus. Like like I would just, I would go to public places and I would just, hey, you've got to know about this guy. Like, and, and there was such a, there's such an eminence, which he talks about here on my soul in that moment where I was like, oh my gosh, like I feel, I feel compelled to do that more. And I don't like, honestly, I, what I said as we were reflecting on this in a group, I told my, my, my group mates that if that were the case, if I was given six months left to live, that, uh, I would basically go to my family and my friends and say, I'm going to go tell people about Jesus. Do you want to come with me? And if they said no, I would just go. Because I realized, like, I there was there would be no time left to lo- to lose. Like, I can't waste this. People have to know. And I think about that. Like, what if it was only sixty minutes left? Like, where would I go? What would I say? What would I do? I certainly want to wouldn't want to waste it. Like, sitting on a couch, wallowing over the fact that I was going to die. Like, no, that's that doesn't even matter. Celebration is coming. You know, even greater. I would want to go and just tell people they have to know the news of Jesus. Jump over to the next page with me. The second sentence there in that first full paragraph. For the message of the gospel, it is always at the last hour. This unique special doctrine of scripture is called eminence. The reality is that we don't know when Christ is coming back. Literally, he could come in two seconds. He didn't. Okay. That's all right. But he literally could come at any moment. We could also all die at any moment, you know, if our days are if our days are up. There is it's easy to forget about that. It's very easy to forget about that. But it's a good thing to remember the fact that, wow, Jesus could come back and like I said at the very beginning, people are dying and going to hell because they don't know who Christ is. Because they don't have a relationship with him. His return is imminence. It means it's it's coming. It's it's any moment now. It could be immediately now. We've got to say something. Down at the, the last paragraph there, the gospel is eternal, but we don't have eternity to preach. Last sentence. Today, over six billion souls are alive on the planet. They are not in a future age that will need to be evangelized, but present and living on the earth now. It is the last hour. Last sentence down there on the bottom of the page, or last paragraph. That divine command was not given in a passing mood of the Lord. God himself is driven by the peril in which human beings stand without Christ. Calvary was his imperative. It is so essential that we tell people, because his return is imminent, death is imminent, we don't know when it's all coming. Go to that next page. I love the story that's on here on page 38. It says, years ago in northern Germany, I had the privilege of leading an elderly lady to the Lord. For most of her life, she had been a church organist, but she had never known Jesus as her own Savior. When she heard the gospel and her heart was open to the Lord, she was overwhelmed with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Three days later, I met her again, but this time she was completely broken. 
Puzzled, I asked her why this was. With tears in her eyes, she told me, I'm already 70 years of age, and I have only just received Jesus as my Savior. I may live perhaps another five or ten years, but I have totally wasted 70. It says, of course, this touched me deeply. Then I said, yes, but I know it's going to happen. One day we shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But he won't be as concerned about how long we cut the furrow of our life for him or how deep, uh, as how deep. Five or ten years, all out for Jesus, are much more than having been a lukewarm Christian for 50 years. Let's jump over to the next page, that passage from Philippians. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I heard this preached on several years ago, and the pastor that was preaching on it noted that this passage does not, uh, does not limit itself to the bad things that were done in the past. It's not simply that I forget about my sin, what's behind me, who I used to be before I was in Christ. It can also mean forgetting about all the good things we've done in the past. It could be like, like today I wake up, or tomorrow, tomorrow I wake up and I decide when it comes to ministry, I'm, I'm going to focus on today. I'm not going to think about the successes, quote unquote, that I've had in the past. Rather, I'm going to put those things behind me and continue to walk out today in the spirit. I'm going to continue to press on towards the goal to which Christ has called me heavenward. That we don't get caught up in the things and the victories of the past, but that we continue to evangelize the world today. Because, again, people need to know. Jump over a couple pages. We just have a few more that we're going to go through here. Page 42. Up before Bible prophecies, that last paragraph. Christ's whole body on earth will be mobilized and armed for the onslaught of the enemy. The devil will lose again. Satan is the eternal loser. <laughs> I love that too. I think it was C28, um, but it was a Christian store, and it was either a sticker or a T-shirt, can't remember. But they had a, a sticker or a T-shirt that said, Satan sucks, tell everyone. Um, I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was brilliant. I loved it. And I, in fact, uh, um, when I was... When I was a student in the student ministries program at my last church, I um, went around to people's desks and I took one of those tape print things, you know, that you like label, like tape label, and I printed that out, Satan Sucks Tell Everyone. I like put it on my pastor's uh, pull-out drawers in their desks for where their pens were at so they'd pull it out and they'd see it. Um, but I love that idea, like Satan Sucks Tell Everyone. He's already lost. He's, he is the eternal loser. He's, his, he does not win. There is no victory in Satan. That's empowering for us. Like, what what do we have to lose? Like, we we can't. Again, like people can reject Christ. It doesn't mean that he fails. It doesn't mean that he's lost. Christ succeeds day in and day out, and for all eternity, he does indeed win. Jump over to page forty-four, middle of that first paragraph. The future is settled beforehand. And the last hour is determined with its very glorious conclusion. Again, that Christ is victor, that he wins. And then that first, uh, the first couple of sentences on page 45. Our enemy is not another denomination or even denominationalism. Our enemy is the devil and the lies by which he deceives the world. The lie that God is dead, 
the lie that God is indifferent and the lie that we can do without, without Jesus. Our enemy indeed is not, it's not us, it's not one another. It's not the church down the street who has a different doctrine than us. No. We're all going after the same thing when we go out and tell people about Christ. It's that they might be saved. It's that they might know Jesus. It's that John 17, 3 might actually occur for them, that they would know eternal life, Jesus Christ himself, that they would be able to enter into relationship with him. Hang with me for just a few more minutes before the break here. I want to take you through just a couple of spiritual disciplines, times of prayer with God. The first one, um, basically, I just want you to spend a few moments, and maybe you'll be writing this down. Maybe you'll just be sitting with God as you do it. But I just want what we're going to do is we're just going to contemplate a couple of things together. And the first one comes out of that idea um, on page seven, if you want to write that down to come back to it later. We read it already. But that there are many methods as he directs. We need more imaginative approaches rather than people doing the things tried and proved. What I want us to do is just spend a few moments and open to the Holy Spirit and say, God, you've placed me in very specific places, whether that's a high school or as a teacher or in the business world or in a hospital or in a hair salon, or as a, a stay-at-home mother or a stay-at-home father, or working at a church. You know, fill in the blank, whatever it might be for you. But open to the Lord and just say, God, what kind of creative ways would you have me evangelize in? Are there things that I simply haven't thought of that you want to show me right now? And then just we're just going to take a few moments to see if he shows us anything. And if he does, then... I just want you to jot that down and begin to pray um, in the coming days and weeks over what that might look like practically. And in a few minutes, I'll lead us into our next um, discipline of prayer. So go ahead and enter into that with the Lord right now. God may or may not have shown you something specific, and I just want to affirm you that that's okay. That time may have been frustrating. That's okay. Um, I do want to encourage you to continue to practice that discipline of just asking the Lord, how, how are you calling me into evangelism, especially over the next six weeks as we go through this course? Um, for our second little prayer project here, um, just take a few minutes to ask that question of, 
God, if I had 60 minutes left, what would I do? If I had 60 minutes to live, what would you have me do, God? And, uh, and just see what he would show you. And um, I also want to affirm you that whatever he shows you, um, whether it's, wow, my heart really doesn't want to do evangelism, um, or if that's like, wow, I'm really passionate about evangelism, that like I said earlier, all these things are, are gifts of grace because they show us our heart. And so um, just I just encourage you to approach that, uh, this time of prayer with that in mind, that whether he shows you, it's not, the des- it's not my desire to evangelize that, okay, well, maybe there's something there that he wants to bring up. And so open to him in that. And maybe he's just sh- saying to you, this is a passion of yours. I want you to pursue this. Open to him in that. But go ahead and go to prayer, and I'll close us out in a moment. Uh, for some of you, I anticipate that God started actually showing you people, um, names, faces, uh, probably that you know. Um, again, these are gifts of grace. And my guess is that he's inviting you to evangelize to those people very specifically. So I'm going to challenge you to do that. I have these two highlighters right here. Um, neither of them are working very well at this time because they're out of ink. I'm one of those people who exhausts my highlighters because um, I don't want to pay for more. <laughs> I just am cheap like that. And um, <coughs> if you saw um, even even my book for, for Bonky, like there's certain lines where uh, it's barely there. It starts out, it's pretty strong, and then it very quickly fades into this kind of, you know, off orange whatever. Um, like I said, I exhaust these things. I exhaust these things. What we can do is uh, we can try in our and you know to just squeeze out every last ounce of ourself, and we can exhaust ourselves by trying to go and preach the gospel to people. Um, and if we feel like it's exhausting, that might be God saying, um, "I I need you to to let me do this with you. I'm I've invited you to do this with me, and so open to me in that." So we don't need to be like highlighters that are fading. We can continue to draw upon the source of the Holy Spirit as the one who is the applicator, the encourager, the strengthener, the one who illuminates and makes things glow on a page to other people as we open the word to them. That's his job anyway. Let's pray. Then I've got a couple of announcements, and then we'll be dismissed for a 10-minute break, okay? God, we just thank you so much for uh, this book that's blessing us. Um, we thank you that it's uh, affirming things that are in your word and that it is challenging us in ways that maybe we haven't been challenged in a long time and uh, maybe encouraging us in ways that we haven't been encouraged in a long time. And God, especially in these times of prayer, as we've opened our hearts to you and you've shown us certain things about what you, what it is that you would have for us right now, um, would you just continue to show us what that looks like practically?
What does it look like, Holy Spirit, to do the things that you showed us? To talk to those people um, or to evangelize in those unique ways? Um, Or God, what does it look like to just continue to sit with you in what seems to be silence? Would you also give us um, your grace and your strength to continue to do that? Again, not in our own ability, not in our own strength, because we'll exhaust ourselves. But Christ in all things, what does it look like to do it with you? And so we open now to you in that. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, before you leave, (laughs) sorry, quick things. I just totally blanked. I was like, what am I supposed to say? Um, If you haven't signed in yet, we have some uh, a fancy new sign-in system on computers, okay? It's super simple. You type your name in, click a box, click done, and, and then it submits it and uploads it automatically for us. So please check in. If you are here tonight and you've not yet signed up for School of Ministry, one of the computers out there, I've got to go and do it right now, but one of the computers is going to be delegated to actually signing up for School of Ministry. So one's going to be for check-in, one's for signing up, Okay. Not for this class, not for registering for this class, just for school and ministry in general. Okay, afterwards, after tonight, I'm going to have those two computers out there for that right now. After tonight, if you're here tonight, you've not signed up for this class and you want to, one computer is going to be designated to do that. The second computer is going to be designated to sign up for the Bible reading methods class, which is Saturday, November 22nd. It's in a couple weeks. Okay, so if you are not signed up for that class and you want to be, you can do that on the computer after tonight. Um, and then some of you are, are also wondering, can I still turn in my homework for the mystics class? Can I still receive credit for the course if I've not yet done it? Yes. Okay. So I know it doesn't pertain to all of you, but yes, if you have that question, email me your, uh, your documents and you'll still receive credit. All right. Enjoy 10 minutes and we'll see you in a few.